Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. You've got your daily Bible reading, today looking at 2 Corinthians 9 and 10. 2 Corinthians 9 It is really not necessary for me to write to you about the service to the saints, because I know your eagerness. I am boasting about it on your behalf to the Macedonians, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. Your zeal has stirred up many of them. But I am sending the brothers, so that our boasting on your behalf will not prove to be empty in this case, but that you will be prepared, just as I have been saying. Otherwise, if any Macedonians come along with me and find you unprepared, we, to say nothing of you, would be ashamed of this confidence. That is why I consider it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance, and to arrange ahead of time the expression of praise that you previously promised, so that it may be ready as an expression of praise, not of grudging selfishness. This is what I mean. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who sows generously will also reap generously. Each one should give as he has determined in his heart, not reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. God is able to make all grace overflow to you, so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will overflow in every good work. As it is written, He scattered, He gave to the poor, His righteousness remains forever. And He who provides seed to the sower and bread for food will provide and multiply your seed for sowing, and will increase the harvest of your righteousness." You will be made rich in every way, so that you may be generous in every way, which produces thanksgiving to God through us. To be sure, the administration of this service is not only making up for what is lacking among the saints, but it is also overflowing in many prayers of thanksgiving to God. By proving yourselves in this service, many people are glorifying God, as they see the obedience shown in your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity shown in your sharing with them and all people. At the same time, as they pray for you, they also express their longing for you because of the extraordinary measure of God's grace given to you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of our God. This chapter really reminds us that our offering to the Lord and the returning of some of our wealth and properly portioning a portion of our stewardship of time and talent, um, that this is a response to God's grace. It is not on the basis of what we have or what we do not have, but it is purely in consideration of what God has given to us. And that is the attitude that Paul really wants to convey for us here, that it is a joyful attitude, one of thanksgiving to God and saying, now how, how can I share in returning this and multiplying this gift from God so that others may benefit as well? That's what Paul is kind of talking about in verses 6 and 7, the the kind of central thought of this chapter. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. The one who sows generously will also reap generously. He's not talking about a, like a dollar for dollar return on investment. That's not how this works. But when Paul says in verse 7, each one should give as he has determined in his heart, not reluctantly or under pressure, for God loves a cheerful giver. What we're talking about here is that your return of an offering to the Lord and the attitude that we have is not one of outer compulsion because compliance, you know, it's compliance can be compelled, but commitment can't. 
<laughs> and obviously that's not original to me, um, but it's this idea that outwardly somebody can be brought into outward compliance with a law or with a command or with the thoughts of a group. Outwardly, somebody can be brought into compliance so that they might do the same thing as the rest of the group. But that commitment of the heart, that inward commitment to the Lord um, on the basis of reality, on the basis of a spiritual fruit of faith, that cannot be compelled. That is not a fruit of the law, but rather a result of the gospel's work in our hearts. The formula of Concord, um, Article 4, kind of put it like this that God does not want hypocritical works. He doesn't want something that is just outwardly compliant. That the people of the New Testament are to be a willing people who sacrifice freely, not reluctantly or under compulsion. They are to be obedient from the heart, for God loves a cheerful giver. In this understanding, and in this sense, it is correctly said and taught that truly good works should be done willingly, that is, from a voluntary spirit, by those whom God's Son has made free. And that's the joy of the Christian life, that that as we carry out these good works in response to God's love for us, as we carry out these good works in response to the work of the Son of God on our behalf and brought home into us, that God even allows us to see in our own hearts and in our own lives. And God allows us to practice these things so that the sinful flesh is reminded who's really in charge. And the Christian sees from his or her own actions, and the Christian is reminded from their own lives, who is it that I am, that my identity is in Christ, that my heart is above, my citizenship is in heaven, and because of this, my Lord has given me a free heart that is set free from the worries and desires of this world. God has given me a free heart where I now return to him willingly, not under compulsion, but out of joy for all that he has done for me, namely that I have been baptized into his resurrection, that I have received his body and blood, and there, freely, God has given to me every great gift that this world cannot touch. So now we get into chapter 10, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul writes, Now I myself, Paul, appeal to you by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I who am gentle when I am in your presence, but bold toward you when I am away. I pray that when I arrive there, I may not have to be bold with the confidence that I expect to use in daring to confront some who think that we walk in the way that the sinful flesh does. For even though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war in the way the sinful flesh does. Certainly, the weapons of our warfare are not those of the flesh, but weapons made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down thoughts such as all arrogance that rises up against the knowledge of God, and we make every thought captive so that it is obedient to Christ. And we are ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is fully restored. You are looking at things only according to the outward appearance. If anyone has convinced himself that he belongs to Christ, let him consider this about himself. We belong to Christ just as much as he does. Even, indeed, if I may boast some more about our authority, which the Lord has given for building you up and not for tearing you down, I will not be put to shame. My purpose is not to seem as if I am trying to frighten you by my letters. For some say, His letters are weighty and strong, but his physical presence is weak, and his speech amounts to nothing. Let such a person consider this. What we are, by our word through letters when we are away, is just what we will be in our work when we are present. 
To be sure, we do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who speak highly of themselves. On the contrary, when they measure themselves only by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. But we will not boast about things that cannot be measured. Instead, we will boast according to the measure of the assignment that God who measures things measured out to us, to reach out also as far as to you. Indeed, we are not overdoing our boasting as if we had not come to you. In fact, we were the first ones to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We are not boasting about things that cannot be measured, that is, in the hard work of others, but we are hoping that, as your faith grows, our assignment will be greatly increased while we are among you, with the result that we will preach the gospel to the regions beyond you. Then we will not be boasting about what someone else has already done in his assignment, but let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. To be sure, it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. As I've said previously, that Second Corinthians is a study in the contrast of Christian ministry. Chapters 8 and 9 talked about the contrast between greed and cheerful giving, between the pull of the sinful flesh and the pull of the new life of faith. And now, chapter 10 and 11, we get into another contrast between Paul and the false apostles. Here in chapter 10, he really lays the foundation for what he's going to be talking about a little bit more thoroughly in chapter 11, that Paul really calls them out again, <laughs> that they have been deluded and they have been led astray. And he needs to address this with the Corinthians again, even though he's talked with them about it before. One of the primary accusations seems to be that Paul is, is so bold when he writes to them, but when he shows up, he will be very meek and weak and gentle. That is verse, verse 1. Um, and in your Bible, you might notice that the word gentle and bold are each put in quotation marks. I who am so-called gentle when I am in your presence, but bold toward you when I am away. Paul says, I pray that I may not have to be bold with the confidence that I expect so that I need to confront these people who walk according to the sinful flesh. And that's the point, because when Paul is talking about the contrast between himself, who is a true apostle of the true God, and these other false apostles who are twisting and distorting the word of God, um, that the contrast is that Paul is being led by the word of God, and that these false apostles are, are not. They are being led by the sinful flesh and the desires of this world. And this is this is a point that um, that one of our members texted me about as we were having a conversation about about terminology and and talking about the proper context for the use of God's word. And this is what he had said, that we should be jealous to ensure and make sure that our language and terminology in our teaching and preaching can have no other meaning than that which Holy Scripture itself gets it, gives it. Only then can we be certain that such teaching or preaching is both scriptural and therefore evangelical and lawful. In other words, if you teach in a way where, or preach in a way where the context does not demand that, if you teach or preach in a way that is not in line with scripture, or if you have this other mindset that tries to find some other purpose in scripture other than the justification by grace through faith, which is attained solely and only by Jesus Christ, if you have that context incorrect, and if you have a different, try to find a different purpose for scripture, then 
you will you will end up twisting and distorting every aspect of God's word in both law and gospel, where the law will be twisted so that it does not convict the sinner, and it will not truly be lawful in line with what God says. In other words, it will not truly be lawful as an expression of love toward God and toward others. And that's that's a problem today. And that's what Paul talks about here in, in chapter 10, that there are many who would gladly distort the word of God for political gain or distort the word of God in order that it would line up with their own personal preferences, wants, or desires. And they would even try to hide that under the, under the discussion of love. They would distort the fifth commandment to say that it is not loving for a, a young girl who made a mistake to be saddled with the, the prospect of being a mother and having a baby. And it should be loving that she could just dispose of that baby and then get on with her life. And there's that distortion of the word of God. Um, or one might say that it isn't loving. If these two people love each other, who are you to stand in the way? Because love is love, a distortion of the sixth commandment. And contextually, each of those ideas has something at its heart and core other than justification by grace through faith. It's an attempt to use scripture in a way that sounds scriptural, but is completely unscriptural, and as a result is not even true in in the way it talks about the law. And remember, the law should be evident from our consciences and from our nature, for, from the nature around us, as well as from the clear word of God. But where that is not clear, then Christ is not glorified. And really, people deal with a lot more guilt than they should. And that's what Paul says here. He gets a little, you know, maybe esoteric in here in chapter 10, a little bit more concrete in chapter 11. But here in chapter 10, verses 3 and following, with some of these thoughts in mind, where we talk about using scripture in a scriptural way, and where we talk about using God's law and not distorting God's law in order to um, attain our own personal gain, he says in verse 3, for even though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war in the way that sin flesh does. The weapons of our warfare are not those of the flesh, but weapons made powerful by God for tearing down strongholds. We tear down thoughts, such as all arrogance that rises up against the knowledge of God, and we make every thought captive so that it is obedient to Christ. And that's the ongoing struggle of the Christian faith versus the, versus the flesh. That is the ongoing struggle of the Christian who is a stranger in this world versus the world that would want to silence the Christian testimony as well as use that Christian testimony for their own personal gain. And Paul says, you have the living and enduring word of God. This is the word of God, which tears down opposition, which tears down opposing strongholds. This is the word of God, which provides comfort. And that word of God, yes, is centered at the cross and the empty tomb of Christ, communicated and given to you in holy baptism and holy communion. These are the weapons that Jesus has committed to us. And so, as you go about your day, just take a moment to consider the weapons that Jesus has placed into your hands. Consider the mindset that is completely different from the world around you. Consider the, the places where you might see, hear, or recognize Scripture being distorted for another purpose and another goal, other than proclaiming the free forgiveness of, from Jesus because of his resurrection. 
And just taking a minute, either shortly after our podcast ends here, take a moment to use one of those tools that God has given to us, the tool of prayer, and pray that that God's church here and around the world would continue to confess clearly with joy based on based on that inward commitment which Jesus himself has worked in our hearts so that we may actually serve one another in love, that we pro- may proclaim his grace completely, and that we may be fearless even when, even when faced with opposition from those who would try to distort what we say and try to accuse us of doing wrong or accuse us of even being unloving. Let us be confident because our Lord has given his word and that is all we need. Thanks so much for joining us here at the Raised with Jesus podcast. God bless your day.